Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners, to your Wednesday night audiobook narration of The Stone in the Stream by Fee Stringer. We've learned much about Zoe's condition, her mental state, and the fate held by her boyfriend, Patrick. More to the point, if she even had a boyfriend in the first place. Today we step closer into the world of shadows, Zoe's state of sanity and mental health, but also into the realm of the unknown. Listeners, turn off the lights and join me for the continuation of The Stone in the Stream. Before I start, if you like what I do and what this show delivers, subscribe and visit my Patreon where you can support me for as little as a cup of tea a month. Alright lovelies, let's jump right on in. Chapter 4, Open for Business Zoe was not in love with Patrick, but she did care for him a great deal, and she suspected that he was the closest thing she would ever get to a loving relationship in her life. He was kind, patient, and never seemed to have a desire to hurt anyone. The fact that he now was apparently only her memory, one woman's memory, and all of his goodness had been stolen from the world, tore through Zoe's mind like thunder. Her fear and her anger splashed together with her sadness, forming feelings that she had not experienced before, both numbness and burning at the same time in her heart and mind. Someone I trust, someone to talk to, she thought to herself. Zoe trusted lots of people that she knew, But no one, absolutely. She trusted Carrot to tell her a truth, but only Carrot's version of the truth. There was Emily, whom she found some common ground with in the way she looked at the world, but Emily had this streak of cruelty that even she could not define or control under most circumstances. There were various people she trusted to get her places, or that she trusted to have some fun with. Patrick she had always trusted to give her pleasure and company without judging her. He would have been someone she could have gone to with this, and he would have listened patiently and never once rolled his eyes and smiled in a condescending way. Being alone and feeling lonely, Zoe knew were very different from one another. She could keep on thinking of people she knew until she passed out, but the more people that occurred to her, the more alone she felt. She stared at her cell phone for a moment looking at its chrome surfaces and blank black screen, only reflecting the light from her window slightly as the curtains were drawn. The day was dragging onward into the afternoon, and she sat in the darkest place she could find. It felt like the world was swallowing her mind. The schizophrenic hum of everything was getting louder and louder. She was hearing the birds outside, the motors of cars, pumping out noxious fumes into the air. She could hear the cicadas buzzing to one another, from all around and from nowhere at the same time. The whole time she could hear the sound of her own blood rushing in her ears, with a constant question of what if, what if, what if, that would not relent. What if I'm going crazy for real, Zoe thought to herself. What if Patrick never really was? What if most of what I know inside is not true after all? She knew that no one would believe her and that all proof of her problem was gone. 
she put on her headphones and turned on the first thing that was in her MP3 player. It was tribal drums mixed with electronic sounds, all instrumental, so she did not have to worry about preachy lyrics about other people's issues crashing into her mind right now. The thoughts kept coming in, however, penetrating her shroud of sound and closed eyes. Go away! She whispered to herself, her muscles tensing up universally. A thought made it in though, one that made her open her eyes for a moment and quieted all of the outside noise for a few moments. Something had been trying to reach her and had perhaps been showing her things. The voice from her trance, the encounter from the park, all of it had to be related in some fashion to what she was experiencing now. The counter thought came in as well with its powerful what if question. What if it's all part of your mental illness? What if the voices and things you are hearing are no different from the ones you have heard all throughout your life and you're simply going more insane? In which case, so we thought, there is nothing to lose. She took off her headphones and lay down on the floor. The noise of the world and her mind still felt like it was rattling through her skull, but she tried to concentrate on her breathing instead. Okay. She said to the empty air, What do you want? Zoe was not a fool and she knew she was not a fool. Calling out into a room was desperate and she knew it. And she also knew that the chances of getting a straightforward answer were less than negligible. Knowing this, she continued anyway. I am listening. I think you're trying to tell me something. Tears were welling up from within and she hated them, but not enough to stop them. Please! What is happening? A lot of nothingness responded to her. She must have fallen asleep because that was the only way she could have gotten to the point of waking up. Zoe changed her clothes and made her way out into the night air. Hunger had taken over sadness and despair and she walked to the corner where BB's Coney Island's lights showed on the sidewalk out front. They knew her there and she was met with a few nods from the staff and a few other regulars. She ordered a breakfast, not caring that it was 9 o'clock at night, and ate it with mechanical motions. The other patrons could not help but notice her glassy eyes, still holding some of the sting of the day's earlier tears within their colour. She was still in the vacant thoughts which had come back to her when she had begged for help. As she gulped down her orange juice, it occurred to her that the restaurant was nearly empty now. She must have eaten slowly because it felt as if a lot of time had passed. She felt the chorus of sounds and vibrations in her mind beginning to finally quiet down. The door opened behind her and she felt the breeze on her neck. The sensation caused her hairs to stand up. Her eyes met another pair of familiar eyes as the new customer walked in and sat at her table. Hey, Zoe, said Patrick. The casual way that he talked and the smirk on his face was almost too much for her to handle. Zoe's lip quivered for a moment. She swallowed. Patrick? She said, her arms reaching out to grasp the hand of the missing person who sat at her table. Yeah. Yeah. He said, reaching into his pockets and pulling out his cell phone. But you were... She struggled for words while trying to control her heartbeat. You were gone, Patrick. I am, Zoe. This is in your head, gorgeous. He said, dialing a number. 
It felt like a slap. Even if he meant to be kidding, it was cruel. And Patrick was not cruel. No! I mean it for real, Patrick! This isn't cool! For real? He said with a bit of a giggle. You are not exactly the champion of things that are for real. He said it with kindness and affection as he let go of her hand to press send. He lifted the phone up to his ear. Zoe looked at him with a confused expression. Who the fuck are you calling? And... And... She stuttered, her voice still cracking. And why now? He handed the phone to her and smiled. Here, Zoe. She reached out to grab the phone. An insane laugh startled Zoe, and her head whipped around reflexively to its source. It was Ozzy Osbourne's laugh, from the beginning of Crazy Train blasting from the ancient baby jukebox. The damn thing had sprung on for some reason in the middle of the intro to the song. No one stood by it or appeared to have operated it in the last 20 minutes, but for some ironic reason, it now was blurting out the song. She turned her head back around and she saw the remnants of Patrick's image sitting in the seat across from her, his hand still holding the phone that she had touched with her fingertips. He was still for less than a moment and then vanished like an image captured on a film just before the projector melted it out of existence. She stared into the space that Patrick had been occupying for a length of time that she was unaware of. The voice of Debbie, her waitress, snapped out of the trance of disbelief. Are you okay? She asked. You're practicing for a play or something. What? Zoe quickly tried to assess what it must have looked like to anyone in the world that was not her right now. Patrick did not exist as far as anyone else was concerned, and never had. It had been a while since Zoe had been seen by a stranger. She had to call up some of her old excuses for acting odd in public back when she was younger, and would answer the voices that she heard from inanimate objects in the world. Oh! She paused, feeling uncomfortable. A, a play? A sort of. I have a speech I have to give, and I just find that practicing out and helps me get over my stage fright, if that makes sense. Zoe's waitress looked relieved. Oh, that's good! <laughs> she laughed a little and put her hand on Zoe's shoulder. For a minute, I thought you were going nuts or something. She smiled. Zoe conjured up the most realistic and genuine smile she could muster. Yeah, I'll bet it did. Must be quite a speech. Debbie continued. I think for a bit there you were crying. Yeah, it's about Pitbull Rescue. It kind of gets me choked up a bit. Zoe took a sip of her coffee. Oh, yeah? Replied Debbie. Well, can I get you anything else? No, thanks. Zoe said with a smile. She could see that Debbie's nerves were still a bit raw from watching Zoe's theatrics to a person who wasn't there. Debbie put the bill down and thanked Zoe again for stopping in. During the whole conversation with her waitress, Zoe had not noticed that her hand was still wrapped around an object that had been the cell phone that Patrick had handed her. She placed the object on the table and stared at it. It was a smooth, black stone. She did not want to even look at the object while in the diner. She had already burned that bridge of apparent sanity. She quickly stuffed the object in her purse, paid a bill, and hurried home. The walk home was not her usual strolling way of taking in the air and the stars, but instead the rushed walk of someone in pain. 
It was as if she were holding her breath and would not be allowed to breathe again until she made it to her desk. Mercifully, there were no interruptions on her walk back, just the wind that shook the trees along the sidewalk, making the entire nocturnal world swirl in motion and howling whispers from all around. She walked into her apartment, ignoring any kind of fatigue she might have felt, and sat down at her desk. Her hand scrambled for her desk lamp and finally found the small chain and tugged on it. The lamp clicked on, creating a pool of light in front of Zoe, making the surrounding room all the more dark to her eyes. She placed the object on the desk. There was a feeling of curiosity mixed with dread that she had not thought possible for one heart to hold. A mystery wrapped in loss, not the kind of story she wanted to be a part of, especially when the antagonist might actually be her own mind. Her mental state had been something that she had taken time with in order to become more comfortable with it, and even at times, enjoy it. She liked seeing more and feeling more of the world around her, for the most part. Except at times like this, she felt herself not gliding through the world, but being crushed by the indifferent strangeness of it all. The chorus of voices becoming louder, telling her ironically that she was losing her mind, when they were themselves the symptom. The object was a black, smooth stone, roughly the size and weight of the smartphone that Patrick or something had handed her in the diner. It was flat and ovular. She put her fingers on the surface and felt the years of water smoothing it. Zoe felt a strange comfort in the coldness of its touch. It was a lot like the stones and rocks that she'd collected and kept in her grandmother's old wooden box. Anything unique or interesting to the touch, she would place within. Who knows what happened to her collection? These things seemed to disappear into the folds of time without any explanation. When people move, or when things are cleaned, or after a child leaves home, they just simply cease to be. And yet none of these parties involved can ever remember throwing them away. She turned the stone over in her hand and a few more times trying to make sense of the puzzle it presented to her. Too much of this depended on if she were crazy or not. Had Patrick actually been there? Or was it a creation of her troubled mind? The stone. Had she picked it up without knowing or remembering and forced it into a delusion at a convenient time? The blank surface of the stone just passively gave her no response. No reflection and no secrets uncovered in its blank expression. Zoe lay in bed. The stone next to her on the pillow. Her face turned towards it. Its inanimate surface gave the impression that it was staring at the ceiling wide awake. Zoe's eyes turned in the direction it was facing. A blank spot with the paint had a small crack in it, revealed by the paint's peeling. She exhaled and was about to turn her head when she saw the shadow shift in the crack. Something had moved. There was something small, no larger than a hair, that was moving out of the crack, making its way along the ceiling. It was spreading, several other tendrils expanding from the crack like liquid spilling on a floor, accompanied by a hissing sound. It was not fear that she experienced, but an ancient flavor of wonderment. At first, Zoe did not notice the nausea that was washing over her slowly as the crack started spreading wider and wider. She saw the sections of her ceiling beginning to fold inward and then disappear into the blackness above. It was as if the ceiling of her room were being sucked away from above, 
the thread slowly clawing back the matter so it would break loose. The hissing sound was becoming a roar of sound as wind swirled around before being sucked upward into the vortex above. Fear had now started to force itself over the wonder that Zoe had been feeling. Everything in the room was in motion now. Paper, clothes, dust. The furniture was rattling behind the din of the roar of the wind. Everything was in motion except... Zoe looked to her side at the stone. It was like the eye of a hurricane. As it was motionless, unaffected by the chaos, Zoe, before screaming, reached out to touch the stone. All fell silent in an instant. Zoe looked at the now very solid-looking ceiling. All of the room looked still, as if nothing had ever moved at all. Her eyes moved to the stone and her fingers upon it, like a button had been pressed. All had stopped. Except there was a still sound emitting from somewhere now, something familiar and repetitive. It was unmistakably coming from the stone. As she lifted it up, it began to fade. Then Zoe realized what the sound was. The dying sound of a telephone's busy signal. Chapter 5 Puzzles and Prophecy There was a chamber with stone walls covered with carvings of things that were mostly beyond human understanding, angles and artistic skill that one person would not be able to attain on their own within a lifetime. She stood in the center of the chamber trying to absorb some sense of what was around her. If Zoe had to guess, this chamber was probably the size of a sports arena. It was dome-shaped, its intricate artwork and details stretching from the floor all the way to the top, where directly above her was the circular hole where the starry night drifted above. She was below in the small pool of light that was cast down from the sky. There must have been another source of ambient light as well, as her eyes could still make out almost every detail of the walls. She knew her eyes were better than human now as her head turned up again towards the hole in the ceiling, and she could see into the fabric of the celestial carpet above, her eyes gathering light and information from further and further the more she stared out into the sky, her perception moving silently and rapidly outward. The cosmic feeling was almost overwhelming as she swallowed and finally closed her eyes for a moment. When they opened again, she found her perception had once again returned to her location in the chamber, with a lingering temptation to return her gaze to the hole in the roof. This place, Zoe said to the still dark air around her, this place is not real. No, it isn't came an answer from nowhere and everywhere. The voice had qualities of Patrick's, combined with more subtle tones of something unknown. But it was. What happened? She asked. Now, it never was. The voice said, Like so much. Now, it's never was. It was growing cold around Zoe, as she started to let her mind put things in their place. Like you, Patrick? The same way you never were? Yes. The voice replied again. Like us. 
The last statement held almost no qualities of Patrick, or anything human, anymore. She stood at the dead end of a road, the sound of insects crying out to each other from all directions. The road was in the countryside somewhere far outside of town, where she'd apparently walked. There were stars, but also a distant light starting to crawl over the horizon, which was, though we could only assume, the dawn. There were reeds and occasional trees that were consistent with the vegetation of the outskirts of the county in which her town was located. Her feet were blistered and bloody from the long walk she must have taken. Zoe scanned the area for landmarks as she slowly made her way back in the direction she must have come. This was not the first time this had happened, but usually it was a few blocks and without all of the pain she felt in her feet and legs. After about two hours of walking, she had reached some familiar paved roads. After another hour, and declining several rides from strangers along the way, she made it home at last. Along the way, she tried to think of nothing but music. She was tired of trying to figure things out, and whatever was happening to her was starting to hurt her. Music was the best distraction she could come up with in her blistered and exhausted state. So she hummed and sang out loud to ease the pain she was in with the sound of her voice. Her feet were soaking in water, then medicine was self-applied, and then before any kind of fear could sneak up on her again, she fell into black, dreamless sleep. When she awoke, there was still pain, but pain that was manageable. She thought to herself there must be someone out there in the world that she could relate some of this to, someone who would understand, someone who may have shared some of these same kind of experiences who would not find her completely worthy of avoiding eye contact. Her vision had started sometime after the projection from the stone had finished. She started to piece together that everything about the stone was hinting, if not screaming to her, that she was the recipient of a message of some sort. The fact that it was handed to her as a phone, the inner voice speaking to her, the stars dancing in her vision and now sending her sleepwalking several times into primordial alien ruins. Zoe picked up her sketchbook and started to draw the images that she had gleaned as best as she could from her memories. She was not very adept at drawing, but getting the images out of her mind and into something two-dimensional she hoped would be soothing. It was no question that she needed help, and she was painfully aware of how limited her choices were. She set her pencil down and opened up her laptop. As it booted up, she reached for her pencil with the intention of drawing the eye of the creature she'd either seen or imagined in the park. Her pencil was gone from where she had placed it, and her eyes scanned where it might have rolled, and there was nowhere to be seen. The pencil shavings were also gone from where she had sharpened it earlier. Her eyes then returned to her drawing. What she saw was her graphite record being eaten away by something. Her lines and shading were being digested, leaving no traces of the design behind, just the blank, virginal white of an untouched page. She grabbed her phone and decided to call <sighs> An unfamiliar feeling of loneliness washed over her, as she could not think of anyone who could even comfort her at this point. It appeared as if she was going to go mad all on her own. Chapter 6 Drawing Boards and Backs Zoe sat next to the babbling man at the cafeteria table, 
He was weaving in and out of stories about his mother, his first house, and something called the Uloon, which was apparently a monster, which always occupied the space behind the bookshelf that was closest to the northernmost point in whatever building this man happened to find himself in. Zoe had come to find herself in Catherine Meadows' temporary home for the mentally ill. Zoe did not care what the real title of the facility was, for the simple truth was that she was in a loony bin again. That should bother her more than it did, but it seemed like as a good a place as any to be right now. She had not come out of her apartment for a few days, and some of her friends, including Debbie and Carrot, as well as an ex of hers named Gary, had become concerned. After not hearing or seeing her for days and had gone in to check on her, when they saw Zoe in her home, they had not perceived her as frightened or fearful, but paranoid? Definitely. Zoe was an honest person. Her friends knew this and loved it about her, and when she was being dishonest, it did not last long. She did not fight very long the urge she told them what she was going through, and her pleasant front had not lasted long before the intervention had gotten her to open up. She explained to them everything, and sadly, and also not surprisingly, none of them remembered a boyfriend of hers by the name of Patrick, and she had no evidence to support the strange claim. Zoe's friends were loyal, and had every intention of helping her by being there for her to support her while she got through her difficulties. But somehow, through the chain of human communication, Zoe's mother had come to hear that she was having an episode. Instead of coming down herself, Zoe's mother sent Zoe's uncle to handle the arrangements of having her committed again. Zoe's mother stated that she just could not handle seeing her daughter like that again. So here she was, staring at her pudding while enduring the ramblings of her fellow patient, whom she decided to simply call Bob until she managed to get his real name. He was not talking about how his parrot only spoke to him at night, and how nobody had the ability to understand his parrot except for him. Upon listening to him a bit more, she discovered that not only was he the only one that could understand the parrot, but he was actually the only one who could see the parrot, or even knew that the parrot was there, much like Ulu. She had nothing to lose from being honest with her doctor. The truth was the truth, after all, and Zoe was not the type of person who lived up to the cliché of the patient trying to do everything in her power to escape, including telling the doctor what they wanted to hear. You are very creative, Zoe, said Dr. Reed, from his desk while Zoe sat in the comfy chair. Did you ever consider writing any of this down? In a journal, perhaps? Zoe knew he was trying to be polite, for his form of politeness was a bit scatterbrained. Well, Doctor, I did try to draw some of it, but it got erased or eaten or something. Remember? She said this in a flat tone, devoid of frustration or sarcasm. Ah, uh, yes, of course. He replied while writing down things in his notebook. The problem with most doctors, Zoe found, was that they were very smart, and with their smartness came awareness of their own smartness. Some doctors simply put this awareness away somewhere. Some let it consume them and they become apathetic. And some, like Dr. Reed, enjoyed it and would seek to entertain it by talking to other smart people. Zoe could tell that he was finally giving her his full attention. Dr. Reed was not the one in charge of her medication and keeping her foggy. That 
was another doctor's job. Dr. Reed had actually listened to Dr. Marcus and had taken on her responsibility, acting in more of a therapist function than a drugstore. He looked to be about in his mid-fifties, but had a certain youthful quality to him. Why would you believe me anyway? Zoe asked, although it was clear that she was trying not to be sarcastic and was asking a legitimate question. I think you already know the answer to that, Zoe. But I also think that it deserves your hearing the answer again. He placed his notebook on the floor and loosened his posture into a less rigid mode of non-verbal communication. Because what you say matters, Zoe, and whether I believe it or not, does not change the fact that you are in here. I am your doctor, and I am here to help you. Zoe smiled. Doctor, you totally just dodged my question. He replied with a smile. Okay, Zoe. The truth is, I don't believe that the events that you are describing happened in a literal sense, but they are very real to you. Okay, she said kindly. So basically, you are giving me the I believe that you believe them, Zoe, line, that I have heard for as long as I can remember. Dr. Reed at first gave a very standard answer. If that is the way you choose to look at it, Zoe. Her eyes moved to the floor in preparation to tune him out for a while, but then he continued. But I believe. He paused, looking for the right words. But I know there is more to you than that answer can provide. This made her curious. Zoe had never heard a doctor put something in such an emotionally charged way. She was intrigued and cautious in equal amounts. What do you mean? He withdrew back into his rigid role again. Just as you are a very intelligent woman, Zoe, and that you are also very creative. She crossed her arms and raised her eyebrows. Oh? The one-syllable word was dripping with sarcasm this time. The sleepwalking thing you said you did, Zoe. Monty's voice cut through a concentration on the book she was reading like biting into ice cream in the center of a hot dog. You know that happens to other people, right? Monty was a very lonely person, and his loneliness had a way of making him imagine that people knew him and liked him that had never met him before. He had been placed in the institution as an alternative for going to prison for stalking a girl he believed he had been engaged to for months. He had put on pajamas and crawled into bed next to her. She had slept the whole night and, waking up in the morning, had a well-deserved panic. She stabbed Monty in the leg and called the police. After an interesting court case and psychological evaluation, the decision had been made to place him here. What, Monty? Sleepwalking? She said it without taking her eyes off the reading. Yeah. Yeah, he said too loudly. Well, I mean, sort of. He then said in a more quiet tone. Why are you telling me this, Monty? She asked, finally looking up from the book that she could no longer remember the title of. Well, there was another dude here a few summers ago. He was in here for sleepwalking. But he walked a lot further than I heard you did. That was only about ten miles, right? Yeah, she said, hesitating slightly because of the amount he knew about her file. 
It didn't really matter how anyone found out, and she was not trying to keep it a secret, but she was concerned that someone like Monty knew as much as he did. His stalker background was becoming apparent in this conversation. Yeah, okay. He continued. He walked like hundreds of miles, like through half the country, up into Canada or something, and like got hit by lightning. He said this with the enthusiasm of a child trying to impress a kindergarten teacher with the stories of his summer vacation. She neither believed or disbelieved him at this point, but it was interesting nonetheless. Wow, okay, she said in response, not really knowing what might have been appropriate to say at that moment. He stared at her another moment, never knows what he was thinking before speaking again. He played guitar pretty well too. Jacob always seemed to be in a good mood. Zoe thought of the street performer named Jacob, that she knew in passing near home. Coincidence was very rare in her life these days. Jacob was in here? Monty brightened up at Zoe's new attention. Yeah, he was. And I talked to him too. He said as if Jacob were now a celebrity. What happened to him? Zoe asked. His sister came and got him, and then he was gone. I saw him a few weeks ago, that is. Of course, if it's the same Jacob. Monty thought long and hard before speaking next. I think I am crazy, but I don't think he was. Then he thought again and spoke. And I don't think you are crazy either. A nervous smile crossed his face as he broke eye contact. Nighttime in a place like Catherine Meadows stretches time in ways that science can't explain. Or perhaps just doesn't want to. Insomnia is a mocking force in these hours, as the sounds of the furnace with a buzzing background of crickets are often the only sounds that can penetrate the inner noise of the sleepless mind. There are missing elements in the building anyway, so it was hard to tell if something new had occurred or not. There was more missing inside her though, and... Zoe could feel the void where it used to be, and it was not just the fog of medication. There were so many things missing. It only made sense that things inside would be missing too. Why the fuck should I even care? She said out loud to the shadows. Zoe was not surprised when this time the shadows decided to answer her. It was not a din of voices or some magical symbol that formed on the wall. The shadows began to dance to a sound. The sound was not new, but merely a new way of hearing. The sound of the air conditioner, the sound of the night insects, the breath sound of the sleeping patients, the buzzing of the various electronic devices and lights in the parking lot, all were synchronized in a way Zoe had never realized before. The swooshing sounds of the highway, the sound of a distant jet somewhere making its way as a dot across the night sky. They were all formed in rhythms within rhythms within rhythms. And what made it more strange was that Zoe was realizing it had been there all along, this powerful and overwhelming underlying movement that she was just not tuned into before. The dancing movement of the shadows in her room formed and twirled to the sounds of the universe in ways that defied all logic and understanding. The darkness had taken on new geometry and new dimensions that were beyond all words that Zoe would ever be able to form. There was a language in the movement, not a language that could be read or spoken, 
but a language that was ancient as the flames of primordial stars, so clear and so powerful at once that she had tears in her eyes. The shapes were arcing and folding, spinning and collapsing together when the messages from this language started to make sense. Something dead was communicating with her. That was the first thing that she understood. The actual matter of the room, the walls, the bed, the glass window, was fading into a state of the unreal as the message unfolded. The next thing that Zoe understood was whatever it was that was reaching her and had been trying to reach out to her for months was not only dead, but had never been human. In fact, it had been nowhere near it, sending her visions, feelings, the visage of Patrick, the pain of thinking of Patrick caused the room to react to her emotion. Ripples of her sadness and loss began to crack the dancing shadows as it welled up within her. The shadows were receding back into what was the accepted form of reality. The rhythm, while still somewhere in her memory, faded into the ambience of the surroundings once again. Once sound had not dissipated though, it was following a rhythm as well, but more familiar Zoe realized that it was the sound of footsteps approaching her door. One of the orderlies had run to her room and was frantically trying to open the door with his mass of keys. Zoe wondered what the world must have heard of her experience that would cause them to approach in this way. The man who burst into the room was young, well-built and wore glasses. Another smaller and older orderly behind him, but she could not see him. The young orderly looked shocked and could only mutter, what? Zoe had no idea what they saw for the first few moments until she saw it herself. It was obviously blood on her fingertips and on her clothes. The light was switched on and then saw more. There was something decorating every surface of her room, walls, windows, table, bedsheets, floor, ceiling. Nothing had been spared. It was in a reddish brown ink that could not be mistaken of anything but the contents of her veins. It was writing in a language that neither she nor anyone in the room could read. It was written with such detail and artistry that even the most experienced calligrapher would have wept. She felt faint as she moved towards the orderlies at the door, her feet only slightly smearing the floor and its text. She walked willingly into their care as their eyes had trouble leaving the tableau. It had been one night but the amount of detail that was shown in the room would have taken weeks, if not months, to accomplish. The only thing spared from this mysterious graffiti was the stone. Its smooth surfaces remained untouched in the drawer with her belongings. The amount of blood that she would have had to lose to make it possible was debatable, but there was no disagreement that it should have killed her. Most people have issues with things that they consider to be impossible. They usually are fine with impossible things as long as it is their impossible brand, such as religion or ghosts. But as soon as someone else's impossible gets in the way of theirs, they start to have major emotional problems. Chapter 7. Who was paying attention? And that's where we'll stop for now. Well, we constantly see Zoe walking the line of the unknown and the encroaching darkness, what's real and what is fantasy. It is difficult to say. 
But I'll say this, that Zoe's fantasies are manifesting into the real world to a point that the people around her are also witnessing it in disbelief. Join me next weekend for the continuation of The Stone in the Stream. Now, for my Patreon legends, my Ode Knight D-Titan, first up is Majestic Mai, the megastar of Marvelous Magnificence. Oh yes, I went there, what a tongue twister. Maya, I'm on the edge of grabbing a new piece of software that will upgrade my old sound repair and editing tools from version 7 to 9. It's a massive leap. It is not cheap, but thanks to my saving, your support, and the existing Patreon supporters, I've been able to save up monthly to grab it this weekend. I can't wait to get access to even more power to fix up old audio, but also record and tweak my own voice with better mastering. So Maya, thank you for making this possible. I'll showcase the tool as well once I get it. Cannot wait. It will be marvelous. Thank you so much. My white tea warlord, Lazuka Bowerzuka, mate, thank you so much for your support. You'll be hearing new sound effects, new music in today's episode, and thanks as always for your lovely support. I've been working especially on insects and natural environmental sounds to get them just right, and the perfect quality as well. Thank you, buddy, for supporting me, and every episode I get a little bit better thanks to your support. Cheers, man. And my second white tea warlord, Paige Kramer, the queen of crystals. Mate, thank you Paige for being you and supporting the show. Your support is being put towards the new RX software that I'm grabbing this weekend, and I can't wait to utilize it. The pop shield I've also purchased is fantastic and also being put to good use. Thank you Paige for supporting me in the way you do. You're bloody marvelous. And thank you as always, Paige. My brilliant Earl Grain forces I am lucky to have. Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, and Leah Fassig. Thank you all for supporting me. Never forget how brilliant you are. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, send me their way. And if you want to reach me for any reason, you can contact me via email. Stories, fables, ghostly tales at gmail.com. Have a kick-ass Wednesday, mates. And you'll hear from me Friday for something special like you lovely lot. And as always, mates, till next we meet.